The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of New York Presbyterian Hospital or Columbia University Irving Medical Center. You're listening to Taking It to Heart with the Columbia Valve Team, a podcast where we discuss the advancements in treatments for patients with structural heart and valve disease. I'm your host, Dr. Isaac George. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Taking It to Heart. I'm Isaac George, your host. We have the Structural Heart Valve Center, uh, Dr. Sashil Kadali, Dr. Rebecca Hahn. We have a, another guest uh, uh, today, which is Dr. Ajay Kirtani. Kirtani? Kirtani. Kirtani. You got it. You got Kirtani. it. Kirtani. <laughs> got it. I, uh, we're going to figure that out one of, one of these days. So today's topic is how many times I can say Kirtani before I uh, get it before I get it correct. So that is our actual topic. It's a volume outcomes relationship in medicine. Uh, we were going to say structural heart, but we have Aja here today, and, and we have a lot of interesting data for PCI. So I think uh, including PCI is a, is a great idea. I'll go ahead and start by saying volume outcomes matter for surgery. Uh, it's a very linear relationship. It's been studied for gallbladders, for Whipples, for AVRs, uh, but it's not a perfect relationship, and the imperfections are very clear you reach thresholds at which numbers don't matter. And those are, uh, those are at two ends of the spectrum where clearly things may be different and disproportionate. So if a center does 20 AVR percent mortality, that's different than the center that does, you know, 500 cases and has a 5% mortality where they're taking on high risk cases. The other thing is that you have different people doing different cases at different centers. At academic centers, maybe you have more residents. Maybe you're taking on higher risk cases. At other centers, maybe you have attendings doing cases from, from skin to skin. Um, quality is very hard to judge, and quality ranges from definitions from, from mortality to morbidity to five-year survival to 10-year survival to one-year survival. What do we use? 30-day, one-year? These are all important questions, and these are hard things to, to figure out. In TAVR, we're learning that this relationship is very important and may be something that's uh, uh, important for figuring out how we distribute centers and how we deal with reimbursement. So I'm going to start with, uh, with Sashil today. What do you think about volume outcomes? I think we have a good understanding of volume outcomes with our fellows. Some of them follow that curve. Some of them never get on the curve. So, you know, is that, is that true of centers? Do you judge a center by their outcome as reported by SPS? I mean, yes. I mean, I think in the end, it's the same thing as everything in life. The more you do it, I think the better you're at it. it you know, there's, yes, there are people that are, that's, will reach different levels, but even for the person that is the, uh, the is at the lowest end, even if they, if they do it more, they're going to get better at it. Uh, and they may not reach the same level as the sort of the most proficient operator, but there's always going to be a, a relationship. And I think that's been borne out in multiple things in structural heart. There is the, and the question is, is it the operator or is it the institution? Is it the team? Right. And that, and that's one of the harder things to tease out in volume outcomes. 
you know, and I, I think that's an important part of discussion. If you have a really good leader and a really good operator, does that compensate for in a low volume center uh, that has less experienced echo and less experienced institutional leads? Um, because our fellows here have done about 150 towers. They go to a program that does 20 a year, which they're not, but I'm saying they did. Does that compensate for that program doing 20 a year because they've come with such experience? I think that's part of the challenge for me in terms of understanding outcomes. But regardless, I mean, there was a publication, I think last year, in the New England Journal uh, from the STS database looking at TAVR outcomes. Right. The lowest and, and, the, and the highest uh, tertiles, I believe, or I can't remember if it's tertiles or quartiles, but there was about a 20% relative reduction in mortality uh, with the highest versus the lowest. So, you know, th that's institutional. Um, but it, it, on an individual hospital, individual thing, it's hard because it's a team, but there may be strong players on the team that may account for it. The same has been seen in, in MitraClip. Um, it was published, uh, I think, uh, looking at, uh, you know, hospital admission databases or discharge databases showing higher mortality. This one had a doubling of mortality in low versus high in MitraClip. And I don't know if that's to be fair, Sashil, when you when you talk about these numbers, these numbers, these confidence intervals are actually relatively small. The mortality rate in the and the lowest quartile was three point one nine percent, and in the highest yeah. was five percent six six. So we're we're talking about really small numbers. And just to put that out there, no, it's it's about a half a percent absolute di difference in mortality. But you know, it, it, yes, it's true. Um, but I, I think. You know, when you're looking at big data sets, that's that's what you're looking at. But it's it's a hard endpoint. It's not it's mortality, right? But I mean, I you know, I, yeah, yeah. I was actually going to say the mitral. Some of the publications that have come out of um, you know STS and uh, the, the TVT are actually interesting because, and this will get to Becky in a second because it's not just the mortality. It's first of all, you see that is you need to do a fair number of them. And they were able to look at things. Obviously it's not the most granular data, but looking at things like successful reduction of mitral regurgitation. And what they found is that you can get through the procedure and not cause a bad event, but to actually get through the procedure with an optimal result, that's where, especially for a complicated procedure like MitraClip, some of these volume outcomes things may come into play. And that's some of the things that we rely upon the echocardiographer to tell us. Can they actually see? Do they know what's going on? Can they tell us where to clip? So Becky, what are your thoughts on this after having seen this so often? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, there was, a, there was data that was put out there by the SGS uh, TBT database. Uh, Paul Saraja looked at the um, volumes and outcome in MitraClip. And um, you know, obviously there's, uh, if you do, you know, spline analysis, there's, you know, there's a cutoff and, uh, of a, 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 at least, uh, 20, 20 cases, but it continues, you, you, your learning curve continues, uh, beyond that. And so, um, it, it is indeed, I think the, that was all for the supposed, you know, for the whole procedure. And it, just as you say, it's really, the procedure is tremendously dependent upon the imager. And so now, you know, we have put out there, um, um, a consensus document, uh, Cecile was part of it, on uh, training for interventional imagers. And in it, we deal with the same problems that the interventionalists deal with, that there is no question for, you know, there's a difference between competency and expertise. And that, you know, to define competency, it, it's difficult, I think, to use just volume, but, but, but volume assures a certain thing, right, that you've seen enough, that you've you know, now experience the various complications that can happen, that you've seen, you know, yourself be wrong, and therefore you're learning from that. And so, 
Um, I think, you know, there's uh, an importance to seeing the volume um, in order to gain the competency. And then certainly you, you need more volume for expertise. The one thing I would yeah. ask Isaac, uh, mm -hmm. ask you and, and Ajay and Becky is, you know, part of the volume outcomes, I understand it's a small absolute difference, but it, that difference is probably dictated by a small percentage of the cases. Because a lot of these outcomes, especially when you look at a TAVR, in straightforward cases, the outcomes are good. It's, it, it's pretty easy. It's understanding which is a complex procedure, which is a higher risk procedure, which is a complex mitral clip that the low volume center shouldn't do and should send to centers of, quote unquote, centers of excellence. And so, you know, I think for me, that's one of the questions because you can't sort of say everything has to be done in certain centers because you need to give access to care. But what you want to do is have have everybody have access to, to the procedures with the lowest risk, highest chance of success, but be, have this ability to triage the higher risk cases. Well, I, that's a great point. And I was just gonna make that similar point in that we've gotten in the era of TAVR where it's relatively reproducible and it's not a complex procedure anymore. It's actually a very easy procedure from a technical standpoint. And there are a lot of centers that do low volumes that have good outcomes because they're careful, good operators. I think the relationship becomes much more important in very complex procedures. When we're talking about complex open heart surgery, let's say heart transplant, things that require resource institutional support as well as technical competence, that's when I think the relationship holds true. So left main PCI, let's say, Ajay, do we have data on that? Yeah, actually, um, it, it, you know, one of the problems with volume outcomes relationships fundamentally is their observational relationships. And so these are associations. And I think to your point, if it's very common, then case selection starts to, you know, becoming a greater factor in terms of what determines the outcomes. But for left main, which is a complex procedure and not done that frequently, um, there was a publication from China, the largest PCI center in the world, Fuwai Hospital, where at that hospital, if you were treated by a high volume versus a low volume operator at the same hospital, the high volume operator had lower mortality than the, um, than the low volume operator. So high volume, lower mortality. And then just recently last week from the BESIS database in the UK and Wales, um, basically sure England and Wales showing essentially the same thing divided by quartiles, uh, lower rates of complications, lower rates of mortality um, with higher outcomes. And interestingly for left main PCI, if you look at the scatter plot, cause this is also important, how many people are actually doing high volume you see there are very few that are doing high volumes. And so um, this is probably that idea that for the complicated cases or for you know, proctoring purposes, it's probably better to do it with somebody that has a lot of experience. So minimum numbers for left main PCI, MitroClip, TAVR. Let's put it out there. Well, you said left main PCI first, so let's have Ajay first. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, it, it, it's, look, the problem with left main is if you look in the U.S. data, there, most hospitals on average are doing less than five, you know, left mains a year. So, you know, hospitals, hospitals in, that's yeah. actually hospitals in the NCDR. So, um, you know, I, look, it's, a, it's, and that's one of the, in the U.S., that's why this whole Excel thing for the U.S. is, is interesting because, Many hospitals in the U.S. don't even do left main PCI, and, and it's, on, it's only under duress. Um, so I think that for, for me, for left main, I would say your center should, should certainly be doing more than 10 and um, probably, you know, 20 or more. But they obviously have to be 
appropriately selected cases because, you know, for, for most of the data would say surgery is kind of the, the gold standard for left main unless the patient's acutely infarcted. Would you argue for left main that maybe an operator needs to do more than 200 PCIs a year or is that, is that not, like, does the total PCI volume matter? Their use of intravascular ultrasound matters, their use of rota matter, those type of things? Yeah, absolutely. And remember, in the left main trials, um, the, the use of intravascular imaging was you know, greater than 70% in both Excel and Noble. So you have to do it that way. The other interesting facet that you find out in the U.S., at least, is that in Excel, the use of hemodynamic support, um, albeit with a mean EF of 60%, was less than 5%. And in the U.S., there's, there's data that shows that 25% of cases are using hemodynamic support. Um, perhaps that's because these are turned down cases and otherwise, but I, I personally think that because there's so much reticence to doing it and, and famili unfamiliarity with doing it, people assume that you need to use hemodynamic support to stent the left main, whereas for us, for instance, we do it in the vast minority of our cases. So Taver, Becky, and Sashil in MitroClip. I mean, you know, we just recently, the ACC just uh, recently put out an advanced training document for um, echocardiography, um, came out in 2019. Um, and in the competency document, the consensus document, we, we just, we just we, you know, reproduced the, the table because I don't know that anyone actually knows. I personally think the numbers are too low. Um, but in that in that table, they say uh, that echocardiographic guidance of interventional procedures should occur in at least 75 cases for uh, a you know procedural imager to to, to have competency and uh, or, or to show competency. And the problem with with 75, for, for instance, you know, uh, 30 of them have to be structural valve interventions. But you have institutions that are doing very few mitral clips. The, the average number of mitral clips done in the 300 some odd um, places that are institutions that are actually doing mitral clips is, is somewhere around 25. Um, and so, uh, you know, you don't have institutions that can train fellows, I think, adequately over one year um, in mitral clip. And for TAVR, we're now doing, at least in our institutions, if you'll correct me if I'm wrong, um, I would think maybe only 40% of them by TEE, and it's TEE training that we're trying to get these people so that they can then uh, obviously guide an interprocedural case that requires TEE and respond to the complications that occur in a, in a really timely manner. And so, you know, it's going to be difficult to figure out how to train these people because uh, numbers do, do matter. Uh, a variety of cases do matter. Um, and I think the numbers right now that have been published are too low. I think the one thing I would add is, yes, TAVR has become much more reproducible. And I think uh, for, the, for that reason, I think the learning curve is, is, is short. But I think the question of understanding what's a high-risk procedure is, is, is the most important part of the learning curve for me and, and where, where I think it's a challenge. The one question I have is, we, we're talking about procedures with teams. Is it the institutional volume? Is it the, the volume of the team doing the case? So should you add up the, you know, the volumes of that interventionalist, the surgeon, and the echocardiographer um, and say you know, what that minimum should be? Because in some ways that may be more relevant. Um, for example, a low volume microclip operator, if they have a very experienced imager that's seen a lot, that, that will compensate for it in my opinion. Right, and so we don't want to prevent access to these therapies. You know, we can't low say- Low or high volume? Yeah. 
Yeah. I think I think that's true for no. for a lot of places. No, but but the question is, you, but you've got to strike a balance of access to care to to maintaining quality, because if the patients don't get access to the care and they die from their disease because they, they don't have access, that, that we haven't served a purpose, right? So um, I, I think trying to figure out, you know, and better training on understanding what's a high risk case, you know, do these twenty five low risk cases, but those two or three that our borderline send to your center, which may be an hour away. Tell the patient, listen, it's an hour away, but this, you know, this is complex. You're better off going to the center. And trying to figure out that dynamic, which is tough in the sort of financial model that we work in, but uh, but you know, the majority of cases can be done in these in these centers. But trying to find that balance is a challenge. So this so is you a, never a, gave me a number, beautiful... What? <laughs> I was asking for a number. No one gave me any numbers. I asked. I gave you a number, all. 75, 75. 75. That's a photographic okay. guide. <laughs> I gave you the list. I gave you a number. That's yeah, true. I, Fair enough. 25. I think, 25. You know. So 25, 25 taverns and you're good to go. Wow. I mean, that's a no, new maintain, world, right? No, to maintain no, per year. I mean, but, that's, but that's for an individual operator. But, that, but that's the reality. I mean, again. I think you're right, though. I'm not arguing. I think Taver has become relatively reproducible, especially with balloon expandable. And I'll throw it out there that different valve products are uh, have different learning curves. And yeah. I think, you know, the number that that originally Sapien had put out or one of the publications had put out was that the curve changes at 200. But but I think for an experienced operator, you, that, that number can be even lower potentially. But, but it's not it's not even the experience of the operator. It's the it's it's the crowd experience, right? It's the it's Correct. the world That's experience. Because the we, team. we're learning from each other and yeah. And the, the, it's a great segue into the training. How do we train? And, you know, all of us in, in ECHO are now turning to simulation training and trying to develop these simulators that will allow us to teach people based on just the simulation so they, they, they at least have seen um, all the problems, even if they're at an institution that has a low volume. Yeah, and Becky, you can be honest with everybody. I mean, I'm always teaching you new things with ECHO every, every week, right? Yeah. <laughs> so one one quick comment to leave people thinking though is that yes, volume outcomes for the basic outcomes we measure like mortality or you are you going to have a complication, you know, those things are fine. But I will say that the quality of the actual procedure itself um, in terms of its long-term outcomes is something much, much more harder to discern. And we don't have a good way of sorting that out. And I know that you can get through a tavern and you're not going to you know, have a major issue or something like that. But how do I know that the right size valve was picked? How do I know that the implantation height and all those other things were appropriate? Same way with left main. How do I know they're not going to reach the nose? And those things are much more harder to find out, especially with these types of analysis. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. That's a great point. Yeah. Got I mean, yeah. that goes back sure. to the definition of quality. And, you know, it's such a, it's such a crapshoot for outcomes. When you look at some of the, the data, you're looking at people that die of cancer or hit by a car. And then that goes into, you know, endpoints that you're making big decisions based on. It's hard to understand sometimes. I, I think I'm going to argue against myself. One, one last quick thing Ajay's point made up is, in the end, all of us, if we had a family member that wanted to get treated, would not go to a center that does 20 tavers. We'd go to a center, we would take the thing and take them to a center that's 400, 500. And so yeah. the reality is we all would want that for our own families, but we're right. trying to argue the, the, the opposite side because of what, what's realistic in this country and how we, you know, people get access to care. But in the end, you know, more, more experience is probably better, right? 
I mean, I think I think we all agree, and that's why we're at our institutions. We get to do things that we may not be able to do at other institutions. But I think it is again important to recognize that there are people and locations that don't have and will never be able to have the same uh, access and quality, and how we can help um, or how uh, centers can help other centers to to do these procedures. Maybe it's teletav or, or teleclip or something, and you know, guide people through cases or uh, remote review. But, um, but I think the the important question was how to identify those cases and get them to to other centers for review or for transfer. I mean, it's a complex topic. Any right. anyone final thoughts? I think we gave three final thoughts. So I think that's enough. <laughs> final thoughts. <laughs> we keep saying right. one more final thought. <laughs> Uh, I think that's I, a I mean, I think we're, I think we're still trying to figure it out, and that's the bottom line for me. Okay, wonderful. Volume outcomes—they matter. We're not sure how much. We're going to figure <laughs> it out next time. All right. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> thanks, everybody. Thanks. Thanks. Bye.